Thank you, John Williams, wherever you are. I want to start us out in that close encounters kind of way this morning. Now, I recognize in the four years I'm doing spiritual cinema during the summer, I've only done one Spielberg film, and that was kind of shocking to me, and it was a really lame Spielberg film. It was the last Indiana Jones one, which was basically nothing more than a mass marketing campaign uh, about baby boomers growing older and needing to hold on to what they knew. So, you know, nothing against baby boomers or anything, but it wasn't a very, very good movie. And I thought at first, um, I, I had to do E.T., right? In one of those famous movies of all time, Deep Spiritual Resonance. And then I thought, so much has been written and so much said about that great magical story about the visitor from beyond. Is E.T. a manifestation of Jesus, of Buddha? I even read a story once critiquing it from a right-wing perspective that because the big spaceship, when we see it at the end, and E.T. represents an alien, a foreigner, it actually looked like, this critique, this reviewer said, it looked like the Kremlin. And so E.T. was nothing but a big left-wing apology to try to normalize relationships between the U.S. and the Soviet Union at the height of the Cold War. <laughs> I think that was a little bit of a stretch. A lot has been said about E.T. And actually, this week, another resonance came up for me around E.T. This past week, my grandmother uh, passed away. She was 91 years old, Pearl Sherman. We were very, very close. She was close with everyone in my family. And in the midst of the celebration of her life and also the sadness that she had gone, I remembered a funny story from when I was 12, and I wanted complete distance from my grandmother. My mother, we had just gone to see E.T. on Cape Cod during the summer in Harwichport, Massachusetts. And I liked the movie. What I couldn't stand is how much it made my grandmother and my mother just blubber. I mean, they were just walking out of the movie theater, tears and holding each other and loving it so much. I remember they were in the car on the drive back home, and I said, shut up, shut up. It's enough already, you know? Complete preteen freak out, compose yourselves. And they, they, they would calm down for a second, and they'd say, I, I'll, I'll be right here. You know, they would repeat the line from it, and they would start crying again and just... Years later, I can appreciate that for all its wonderfulness and for the authentic emotion that my mom and my grandmother felt. The thing with E.T. is that it is very much a magical movie. It's a magical movie about kids, by and large, about their perspective on the world. And the reason I want to do Close Encounters is because it's slightly different. It's a magical movie about adults' perspectives upon the world. Close Encounters is about adults who have lost, seemingly, that childlike ability to wake up, to be in touch with life, to feel deep resonance for things. And indeed, this is a theme all throughout Close Encounters. At one point, one character says to another, when they're just about to meet the aliens, the people responsible, the creatures responsible for all these amazing things that are happening, this is like Halloween for grown-ups. Another point, another character said, this is the first day of school, fellas. It has the sense of adults learning to wake up again, get back in touch with the things that are so important and make us feel deep resonance, a sense of real connection in life. And actually, my favorite Spielberg moment about resonance is probably in his most important film. Perhaps you remember it if you were able to sit through, and it wasn't easy to sit through, Schindler's List. The moment when Oscar Schindler goes from just war profiteer and someone who is happy to sit content on the sidelines while tragedy and evil is happening all around him. He sits up high on a hillside while a Jewish ghetto is being cleared, is being ethnically cleansed. And he sits up on his, literally on his high horse, 
surveying what he is about to plunder, the spoils that he will get. And he sees a three- or four-year-old girl, you remember this scene, in a red dress. And something about that red dress. I mean, there is misery and suffering going on all around. But something about seeing this little girl going from house to house, having lost her parents, a similar thing in so many Spielberg movies, lost children finding to find their way home. Something in that little girl in that red dress awakens him. It awakens his moral imagination. It awakens his compassion. It says that he can no longer just sit idly on the sidelines. He will enter with his best self and do the most that he can. He experiences a moment of resonance, of true belonging to life, something that stirs his soul and calls him indeed to a new life, a risky life. The experience of resonance, of feeling a deep connection, is what Close Encounters is all about. It's about the place, as we heard just right here, right now, from Harry's fingers, the place where sound and soul meet and people awaken. Now, resonance does not have to be a sound. It can be a sight. It can be a relationship. It can be experience. Whatever it is for us, Close Encounters ask the question to all of us. That's the spiritual meaning of the movie. Will we stay honest to it? Or will we just say, okay, that was a unique experience. That was a great thing. That was cool. And then we'll just go on about our lives as if they were just normal. We will in time forget. The characters in Close Encounters do not forget. They move out of their lives from places, various places of dissonance, of disharmony, of not belonging, of alienation, into deeper, deeper, deeper connection with life. The movie, as perhaps many of you know, and how many of you have seen it, by the way? I figured it did earn $300 million, so I figured it was a good bet that most of you would have seen it. You know, it's about strange happenings all throughout the world. UFOs, unidentified flying objects, giving particular people in particular locales, particular experiences, saying something unusual is happening here. I like particularly that alongside our mission here at Wellsprings, the way that they can tell visitors have visited is that... They are charged full. Electromagnetism goes absolutely haywire. Something is happening. And there are three main sets of characters in the movie. There's the Richard Dreyfuss character who works for the electric company, decides that he is going to follow these aliens, gets fired, loses so much in his life. There is Melinda Dillon and her son, little three-year-old son Barry, who are separated and then ultimately united. And there's the great French director, Francois Truffaut, who plays the sort of alien hunter, but not in a negative way, the scientist going all throughout the world trying to see what is going on here. All three sets of these people, their lives are disrupted. Something is happening, and they're going to pay attention to it. They're not just going to pretend that life is going on as normal. This is one of the paradoxes of spiritual experience, of the depth of what awakens us, which is that it can be incredibly discomforting and it also can be absolutely confirming of our deepest selves at exactly the same time. Rudolf Otto, who was a uh, professor and scholar of religious experience, you don't have to remember the Latin at all, you won't anyway, but he called it Mysterium Tremendum and Mysterium Fascinans. It wakes us up by shaking us. There's a great old Sam Cooke and the Stole Server song in which they said, there's a line that said, it causes me to tremble. This spiritual encounter, it causes me to tremble, to wake up and to stay awake. 
So it's scary sometimes to have an experience that alters our consciousness, that lets us see the world in different ways than we have before. But it's not just all fear. Because at the same time, this kind of experience is compelling. To feel that we have just pulled back the label a little bit on our lives and that we are invited to go deeper. Called to become something that we are not yet. I don't believe there is any authentic spiritual path, not just a spiritual experience, but a spiritual path, a spiritual life that doesn't have seams. It is not seamless. I think the call in the spiritual life very often is to enter the places of the gaps, live in the places in between, what the psychologists call the liminal places. Live into those places. Don't be afraid of them. Recognize that we build faith. We don't have faith. We build faith through living through those liminal places. Because we know at those times we cannot control them. We can do something even better. We can respond. We can find those places of resonance and allow ourselves to be led. Emerson, our great teacher, who in many ways was an egocentric kind of person, He also said in a moment of incredible insight, he said, faith makes us, we don't make it. That's what happens in those moments when we feel resonance and choose to follow it into a deeper and different life. Richard Dreyfuss says three, four, five times in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He says, this is important. This means something. This is important. This means something because he doesn't get a lot of validation from the people in his life. It's almost as if he needs to repeat this to himself to say, I am going to continue here. I'm going to continue to walk my path even with my doubts. Only immature faith is scared of doubt. Real deep faith invites it, sees it as a clarifying agent so that we can more fully understand exactly what we believe, not to be afraid of it, but to go into it. Upending normal consciousness is scary. It is also the deepest invitation that we can get to grow. A couple times this past year, I've had the opportunity to join in deeply resonant experiences, experiences in which sound and soul were wed. One was a Kirtan concert with Krishna Das. Some of you know him and know how he builds out of that traditional Hindu chanting into modern American music, and the mixture is so wonderful and so deep. And then another time I was at a workshop in which, I swear, this is the case. I often don't go for people saying, I did this thing and then this happened, but this did happen to me. I was at a workshop in which they were chanting, chanting according to the different seven chakras within our body, the energy centers, and there was one particularly located, um, fixated on the, the face. And literally because last summer was miserable for me from an allergy perspective, I did this chant and I could breathe out of this nostril for the first time in about seven weeks. Make of it what you will. It was resonant. I understood for the first time why they shoot those sonic waves to break up kidney stones, you know? Maybe it's the same principle. I don't know. I know after that Kirtan concert, after those sacred chants, and I wasn't familiar with many of the words, a few of them, but not many with them. I don't come from that tradition. But my body felt like a tuning fork at the end of that night. It felt so amazingly resonant. I felt like there was a clear channel No longer those obstructions that too often I put in my own path and in my own place that separates me from the presence of the holy. Now the question is always, how do we keep that going? How do we maintain that beyond just the singular experience? Well, because this is a Spielberg film, he gives us the answer. Those with and having the capacity 
to maintain a kind of childlike openness and wonder. Those are the people who are able to follow the experience, the resonant experiences, back out into life. There is that three-year-old Barry who is separated in some very frightening ways from his mom. They were united at the end. The thing is, it's scary for mom. Barry is overjoyed. <laughs> he absolutely loves it. He is compelled. For him, there is no tremulousness. There is no trembling. There's only the sense that he's being invited into something that's absolutely amazing. He knows it at first because his toys magically go on in the middle of the night. And, you know, let's face it, if my toys would go on magically in the middle of the night, I'd probably be pretty happy too. There's a story that a colleague of mine told about six months ago. And she's not sure whether it's absolutely real or it's apocryphal. It's just one of those things that travels on the internet. But the meaning of it is quite deep and I think absolutely true. So young parents, they had a three-year-old and a four, five, six-month-old. And at one point, the three-year-olds went to mom and dad and said, I'd like to be left alone in the nursery with my little sister. Could you go out, leave us here? Can you go away? And they did. They closed the door behind them, but they turned the monitor way up because they wanted to make sure, you know, this wasn't like throttling the baby in the crib or anything like this. And they heard the three-year-old lean in, lean in very quietly to his little sister. He said, tell me about God. I'm starting to forget. This idea of somehow those who can cultivate the sense of youth, of youngness, of vitality, might be in some ways closer to the source. And the great thing is, in Close Encounters the Third Time, you recognize that it's not just real little kids who can experience that. One of the characters who experience visitation from the visitors says, the sun came out last night. It sang to me. That's why the people who are visited have sunburns across sometimes half of their face. Because they've been marked. Something has happened. The first time where the chanting is heard, not at all coincidentally in the movie, is in Dharamsala. Is where that chant, those five tones are first heard. And thousands are on the countryside, hillside, chanting it together. Dharamsala, some of you might know, it is where the Dalai Lama resides. Where the center of the Tibetan Buddhist community in exile lives. Devil's Mountain, if you remember that, they invert the meaning of that in the movie. It becomes almost like Spielberg is drawing from his own Jewish heritage and saying, this is a place of new revelation. This is a new Mount Sinai. This is a place where we'll learn something new about the nature of humanity and continue to grow together. What all the things in the movie mean, not just hearing or perceiving, but following and risking, these are saying that the spiritual life is engagement. It's not a matter of passive receipt. It is a matter of active engagement. A matter of following the hints that we get into a deeper life. I don't think in those places any doctrine is given. I have absolutely no dogma or doctrine about God's nature. What I have is what I believe Carl Jung, the great Swiss psychologist, said. When he was asked once, do you believe in God? He said, I don't believe I know. I don't think you need any doctrine or dogma to have those experiences. What I know in my heart is that the effects of the spiritual life are absolutely real. And so many of us know this as well. And in many ways, they don't need explanation. We can think about them. We can critique them. We can wonder if we're living in harmony with them. 
But ultimately, some things just stand on their own. There's a great story about resonance and sound and soul. It was said that at one point, Beethoven sat down for a very small, exclusive audience. Imagine being in this room. Imagine being there. That Beethoven sat down and played for them straight through his most recent piano concerto. Straight through for this small group of people. And at first they were awed and overwhelmed. And they just absolutely were blessed by this amazing sound that they heard. And when the clapping was done, one person stood up and said, but what does it mean? Beethoven gave no vocal response. Said he went back to the piano, sat down, played it again straight through, note for note exactly what it was, got back up and said to the person, that is what it means. Causes are very often hidden from us in life. We can spend our entire lives looking for the exact cause, the exact origination point. Very often it will be hidden from us, but what we can feel very truly are the effects, the deep life-changing effects of encounter and spiritual presence. Sometimes this does involve risk. Sometimes there is a price to pay. Spielberg said that in the movie, the one thing that he absolutely regretted because it reflected a very immature kind of thought process on his part is that Richard Dreyfus, when he follows the aliens, follows the landing to the place, Devil's Tower, he completely loses contact with his family. This all or nothing kind of spirituality is deeply immature. I love what Dogen, the great Zen master of the 13th century said, almost a thousand years ago. He said, those people who see worldly life as an obstacle to Dharma, the content of our teaching, those who see worldly life as an obstacle, these people see no Dharma, see none of the truth in everyday action. They have yet, yet discovered, they have not yet discovered that there are no everyday actions outside of the Dharma in the first place. Holiness, sacredness, especially in our tradition, which says it is not about the text first and foremost. Our tradition is not about these dualisms of saying it's someplace else, some other time. It is here in our midst, in our very own lives, when we choose to unpack the depth and the content of who we are. But there are costs no doubt about it. There are seams. There are places sometimes we feel compelled and invited to go that others we fear may not follow us. I mentioned earlier that my grandmother died this past week. Probably one of the least favorite days of my life was the day when I chose for some idiotic 23-year-old reason to tell both my rabbi and my grandmother, my Jewish grandmother, that I was leaving Judaism to become a Unitarian Universalist minister. Not smart. Very stressful, at least. My rabbi, at the very first, some of you know this story, uh, was great and then refused to talk to me, including once when he met me face-to-face, -face, and it was as if he saw me for the very first time. My grandmother had the more honest reaction. She burst into tears. She was deeply disappointed. She was not happy. It was painful for her. And even if I wasn't smart about the way that I told her, eventually I had to. I didn't want to be cruel. But the thing with the deep resonance 
is that if we give it time to develop in our lives, we recognize that resonance is not about rejection. It is about integration. Gathering all the pieces of our life together to form that beautiful whole. Resonance requires persistence and presence. If in that moment with my grandmother, I would have said or she would have said, that's it, we're done, we're disappointed in each other, that's all there is, that would have been the end. But together we talked about it a lot. <laughs> and we found our way to the other side. She came to my ordination, she came to preach, she came to see me preach multiple times while I lived close to her in Connecticut. In time, there was integration of our paths again, not rejection. It's the true sign of resonance. Resonance requires us to keep an open heart. In our 2.0 Listening to Our Lives class, we use a story on the last day that some of you know. It's from Anne Lamont. It's called Into Thin Mud. And she tells a story about a time in her life when everything has fallen apart. Her child is sick and she has no money in the relationship that she was in. It ended and things just absolutely seemed that they could not get any worse until her car broke down as well. And she is laying in bed one day feeling that there is no place else for her to go, nothing else for her to do except feel absolutely lousy. And she's just downed a whole box of chocolates because she figured that will make her feel better too. But then she's just woke up later on feeling, I think she said, fatter and even less happy than she was before. That doesn't do the trick either until finally a friend calls her and says basically in a very childlike way and the way that Barry, the three-year-old in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, would understand, come out to play, take a walk with me. They take a walk out into the marshes in Northern California. They fall on their butts in the mud. They get really, really messy. And then she just has a moment where they're laying there at night in the marsh, feeling the stars over their head, the sounds of the birds and the insects. And out of this dissonance, out of that difficult time in her life, she remembers because she's quiet enough to hear herself. And the words come to her, no wonder you're this sad. Just having the time to stop. Trust that there's some deeper resonance under the dissonance. Trust what is there. She reflects on a song that they sang in church that morning. She said, how can you hear one chord and then another chord and then another chord? And then your heart breaks open. That is resonance. Now the signs of it, what makes it real long term, Buddhists talk about the signature virtues in Judaism and Christianity, they talk about the fruits of the spirits, the fruits of authentic spiritual encounter. Our Unitarian and Universalist heritage talks about the cultivation of character. In the end, it all comes down to this. If we truly grow, it shows. There's a saying that says, if you want to see the real fruits of the master's teaching, do not go to their dojo, don't go to their temple, 
Don't go to their church. Don't go to their mosque. Whatever it is, see how they treat their dog. It is in that place, the everyday and the commonplace, that we see resonance express itself. If we grow, it shows. And at the end, at the end of the movie, I love that Richard Dreyfus, after they've downloaded all the people who've been taken throughout the years and they're all unharmed and little three-year-old Barry is okay and is reunited tearfully with his mom and I had some tears as well too. It's very, very moving. It's a Spielberg film after all. It all comes down to getting, you know, reunion with things that we missed. At the end, they're about to send up a whole bunch of very stern-looking proper astronaut scientists up onto the next trip that the aliens are going to take away. And they're all there looking very official and military, not cracking a smile. And they decided at the last moment, the authorities that be, Francois Truffaut, to add Richard Dreyfus to that list of scientists. And he's just sitting there, standing there with this big, goofy grin on his face. And this little alien comes up and takes his hand. It is joy and wonder and openness that are finally the prices of admission that we need to pay, the only things required out of us if we are going to grow spiritually in this life. And then absolutely, at the end, as Close Encounter says, as its tagline was, even though the words are never in the movie, we get to know the deepest truth that there is. We are not alone. We are not. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of this very moment, it is not even right to pray, be with us, because the holy is already here. So instead, let our prayer be directed to our eyes, our ears, our hands, our hearts, our feet, our very bodies and our very selves. May our lives become the tuning forks in which we can feel that resonance and harmony that is already here. Let us trust the ways of our being that call us into deeper relationship with this life. Let us learn above all else to express the kind of faith that cannot be said with our lips, but is only known and authenticated through the movements of the soul. May our lives sound with truth. May our lives sound with beauty. May our lives sound with love. May our lives sound with justice. May our lives sound with compassion. May our lives sound with everything that we would aspire to and not for another day, but here and now. Amen.